out of Oklahoma City, you're listening to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where movies are more than just 90 minutes in a bucket of popcorn. The Good Trash Genre Cast is a member of the Good Trash Media family. For more information, go to goodtrashmedia.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Honorcast, where we apply film studies analysis to films that you will never, ever watch in a film studies course. This week's film is The Karate Kid, uh, which is uh, the sequel to Billy the Kid, where Billy the Kid learns karate and then robs trains, or... Maybe something else. Man, that sounds like a cool movie. Uh, it would be kind of fun, wouldn't it? No, I'm super into it. <laughs> Hollywood, give me a job. Give me a job stat. Uh, but we're here to talk about that to you all. Let's go ahead and identify the disembodied voices speaking to your brain. Who are you, sir? Uh, my name is Dalton Stewart, and uh, put him in a buddy bag, Johnny. Yeah, there you go. My name is Dustin Sells, you know, like Daniel with an L. <laughs> Wait, no, not at all. Um, it's a cute moment. It's a cute moment. A Sells, like, with an L, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a Q. Lots of Qs. Wait, what? Q's and Z's, mostly. Now you're just making stuff up. <laughs> now, you're just being a, now you're just being a silly boy. <laughs> who, That's what you're doing. You're just being a silly silly. Who, who me? Yeah. Um, but yeah, you. <laughs> well, let me be a little bit more serious and warn you, dear listener, this is the first time you've tuned in to the Good Trash Genre Cast. What we do on the show is not review. It is analysis. And that means there will be spoilerific spoilerages. Um, or a 30-year-old movie that most people have seen at yeah, least twice. That's like so much a part of the cultural zeke, guys. I would be really kind of amazed if you didn't know the importance of the crane kick. But... Um, um, I'm gonna, we're going to go ahead and assume you don't. And so what we'll do in order to prevent that spoiler ring, if you're listening to the show and you do want to have a taste of what we're up to and what we're doing, uh, what you'll want to do then is listen for our quick uh, synopsis from the voice of the Dalton Theater. Then our – It me. It, that would be him. Yes. Ip, Ip. Ip Dalton. It me. <laughs> I'm saying it, not Ip. <laughs> I, I'm I, saying I have it. no delusions about my uh, wushu skills. Yeah, no, nor, nor do I. Um, and then we'll do uh, quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. We'll play a game which might involve a mild spoiler here or there of this film or other films. And then finally, when we get down to business, all spoiler bets are off. And so in that case, you have been warned. So without any further ado, Mr. Dalton Stewart, voice of the Dalton Theater. Let's hear that lovely synopsis even now. A martial arts master agrees to teach karate. I'm going to back that up. A martial arts master agrees to teach karate to a bully teenager. There you go. That's what happens. He is bullied, and he learns it. He's from New Jersey, and he's in L.A. Newark, to be specific. Newark, New Jersey, which is a very, very specific place. Well, he keeps bringing it up. Yeah. Here's the deal. Who, who in the world, who would prefer Newark to Reseda? I don't I'm know. just saying, on the scale, like, Newark is New York's Newark. Reseda is L.A.'s Reseda. Like, they, you know what I mean? Reseda right. is the Newark to L.A. They're analogous cities. Pretty much. One's got way better weather. That's Correct. all I'm saying. Yes, way better weather. Yes, by far, by far. And the whole world goes blonde, apparently. But um, that's apparently but, I, they don't have blondes in New Jersey. What the fuck are well, they talking I don't know. about? Mom just notices lots of blondes. I don't know what her deal is. But um, you know, mom's also a single lady, like on the prowl there. So maybe mm-hmm. that's part of what's going on. And uh, she's all the single ladies, mm-hmm. and uh, so. all of us, all of them, all at once, forever. <laughs> she's the 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 patron matron saint. So this is an '80s classic. It's a bit of nostalgia factory um, for some of us. For some of us, um, Dalton, what did you think of the karate? 
kid. So this is the uh, probably the first time I've seen this all the way through and maybe ever. I think I might have only ever seen this movie in bits and pieces. I don't know if I'd ever wa- sat down and watched it start to finish. This is a two-hour movie, which was yeah. shocking to me. Um, it's fine. Um, honestly, one of my biggest beefs, as we, we, we started talking a little bit off-air, is Ralph Macchio. Go I, on. I don't dislike Ralph. I think he's very charismatic. He's my father. Uh, you guys do look a lot alike. Um, he just... Here's the thing. Ralph Macchio was like 22 when they shot this movie, right? He looks like he's 15. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth Shue looks like a grown woman. Uh, the guy that plays Johnny Lawrence looks like a grown man. Everyone in that high school looks like standard high school aged for an 80s movie because all high school students in the 80s and 90s were like 24. Um, and they all look like they're in their early 20s, which means late teens and, and movie lingo, right? That's right. just the way it works. Um, if you're going to cast people closer to the real ages, you have to cast everyone closer to the real ages. They didn't do that for this, which is fine. They cast everybody in their early 20s, but Ralph Macchio looks like he is 16. Every bit of it, yeah. If he's a day. And he just looks so much younger than everyone else, and it just, like, creates this weird cognitive dissonance that's really His most youthful moment is that moment when he comes out of the the ocean, Mm -hmm. and he's wrapped in the towel, Mm -hmm. and Miyagi breaks the bottles on the... the, Yeah, he looks like a little baby. Yeah, he looks tiny. He looks so small. And that's the other thing, is his physicality. It... Yes, Danielson should probably not be uh, an expert at karate uh, by the end of this movie, but he should look like he kind of knows how to do karate. He doesn't at all. Every time he squares off with somebody, it looks like the first time he's ever squared off with anyone, which is weird because it's not even that like physically he's unable to do the stunts because either he or his stuntman does a fairly good job like throwing punches and kicks. It just like when he squares off, it just it looks wrong. He looks scared. And I, I, the fear I get, the fear should definitely be selling that, absolutely, because Danielson is completely outclassed. But I should be able to believe that he fucking wins this karate tournament, absolutely. and I don't believe it at all, not for a second. Well, when you're watching the other, uh, you know, um, competitors doing uh, their fights, you know, not involving Johnny and not involving Well, there's Cobra. some of the stunt team. Yeah, some of the stunt, and they look amazing. They look outstanding. The guy that plays Johnny... Uh, looks like he knows what he's doing. Yeah. And he did not before this movie. He'd never done any martial arts uh, other than some high school wrestling. Apparently, I did some research. He did some wrestling. So he had a, you know, a competitive, you know, contact sport background, but he had no martial arts background. And dude sells it. Mm-hmm. Macho never sells it. And it just is distracting as shit. It just takes you out of the, the end of what should be a triumphant moment, which should, which should be Daniel, like, realizing, like, the the culmination of these months that he spent with Miyagi because we are led to believe he spent like the last three months with him day and night yeah. nonstop. He should kind of know what he's doing a little bit, and I, I it just it feels wrong. And I love the idea that Miyagi is making him do meaning, which feels like totally cliched now. Uh, at the time, I don't know that it was. Now we've seen so many things reference Karate Kid that the idea of him doing household chores as part of his training seems comical mm-hmm. at the time it's i mean it's supposed to be funny but now it just feels a little outdated in the context of the movie though i think it works really well then the transition to applying those to fighting is kind of interesting like where miyagi just starts about to try and beat daniel's ass because uh, he's irritated that daniel's not listening to him and daniel uses the wax on wax off to get out of trouble and it's like oh he really was teaching me like fundamentals 
the translation of that scene to like him actually knowing karate is not there. It's just not there at all. Um, because as far as we can tell, Miyagi basically taught him how to block punches, and that was about it. Right. Um, which is good. That's not going to win you a karate tournament. It's just very distracting. Yeah. So I- the movie is fine. Uh, Elizabeth Shue and, and Manchio are good together. I, we, as we were talking, they have they do really do have good chemistry. Again, she looks like a grown woman next to him, which is just very distracting. Um, the way Daniel is scripted definitely comes across as kind of pushy and shitty sometimes. Um, not in every scene, but there are definitely moments where it's just like, Danielson's kind of an asshole. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's part of his arc. And I actually think it makes the movie more interesting. There's a, a video that was floating around that went viral about how Johnny is the, the real hero of this movie. That's obviously, he's not. No. Johnny is, is, is a troubled kid, clearly, but he's not the hero of this movie. Um, and, and Daniel is kind of a complicated protagonist, and it, the movie, there's a really complex movie under the surface of Karate Kid, I think, is what's happening. Because Daniel's kind of a complicated protagonist, and then Miyagi is the heart and soul of this movie. Pat yes. Morita is fucking amazing in this movie. Let's recap real quick without getting too spoilery. Uh, this is uh, Mr. Miyagi's uh, background. He is an immigrant from Okinawa. In World War II, enlisted in a Japanese combat regiment to go fight the Germany, the to go fight the Nazis in Europe, gets a Congressional Medal of Honor, which is historically anachronistic uh, because of racism, but it's cool in the movie. It's awesome. And his fucking wife died giving childbirth in an internment camp. That is the saddest thing ever, and it is an amazing like statement about America. It's an amazing statement about the history of. Um, Asian people, specifically Japanese immigrants in California. Um, it, it's just amazing. It's it's really kind of beautiful and nuanced and political and really, like, tugs at your heartstring. I cry. Like, that's a beautiful thing that legitimately moved me to tears, and it's just done and over. Yeah. Um, so th- And that's, that's the thing. Pat Morita is the heart and soul of this film, and every scene he is in is great, and every scene without him, you're just waiting for him to come back. And that, that's kind of uh, where I land with this film is it's okay. Pat Morita is amazing. Fair enough. And I, I'm kind of in the same place. I mean, my love for the movie is uh, it, it's fundamentally out of two places. And, and the first place is out of Pat Morita and his performance insofar as I, I have a great deal of identification that happens when you talk about a young man without a father figure and this man shows up and sort of fills that void. Like that's that's moving to me. And uh, and then that it also is a moving for uh, Miyagi. Also, he lost a son uh, in the course of that childbirth mm-hmm. thing that went down badly. Mm-hmm. But um, the the the, re, the way Miyagi Do Karate uh, is passed on is from father to son, and so yeah, it is. It's, it, it's it, very beautiful. It's fundamentally an adoption story. Absolutely, you know, uh, for for Miyagi, and so that moves me a lot. Also, um, I'm very much moved as I have um, my whole life been an expert in a particular kind of martial arts in which I win fights by blocking punches with my face, and uh, I'm very very skilled. I will, I will mess your hand up uh, <laughs> in in crazy ways, and so there there's a way in which 
which as a young sort of scrawny fellow uh, throughout my junior high, high school, and I guess current life, uh, all of that, I'd love to see Daniel sort of be able to take on bullies, be able to develop mm-hmm. some skill, and earn, not only not only be able to you know perform well in the ring, but to earn Johnny's respect. Like, that's, that's a big deal. I am deeply interested in the story of Johnny the Gracious Loser. Yeah. Um, who, like, clearly does not want to be the mean karate bully that he's being taught to by his adopted father. Um, I, I learned doing some research that um, the the screenwriter, like when uh, developing the character of Johnny, the intention of Johnny is to also not have a father figure in his life, and his sensei is also his father figure. He just, as uh, Miyagi said, there's no such thing as a bad student, just bad teacher, um, which is great. And I feel like all the most interesting things in this movie are sidelined for a pretty typical '80s nerd gets the hot girl story. Yes, uh, because. That's what the 80s were obsessed with and uh, led us to the world that we have today. So thanks, 1980s teen films. Fair enough. But as as an action movie, it is a movie that I watched over and over and over again. Oh, it's called as, a sports movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you call hardly call it. An oh, okay. Movie. Fair, well, I, well, it's it's got the, it's got the fighting. It's got. I mean, but yes, it, it's a sports film. I, I totally agree with that. That that's fine. And of course, he does win sort of the Hoosiers methodology, right? <laughs> uh, by by finding some sort of fundamental form by which he can defeat his clearly outmatched, outskilled opponent. Uh, or excuse me, his opponent outmatches and outskills him, mm-hmm. and that by using a very, very sort of basic fundamentals form of the sport in question is able to sort of achieve a victory. Like, it, it does very much sort of, uh, you know, give that nod to the beauty of whatever game it is that we're playing, and it, even though this game happens to be some sort of form of fighting. Um, so that that's a lot of fun, and that's a lot of what uh, I, I like about the movie. And again, that just, man... Give me some Eye of the Tiger. Give me give me some of You're the Best Around. G- give me some of that kind of stuff. You want to hear something really funny? What's that? You're the Best Around was originally written for uh, Rocky Three. Really? Yeah, that's, there's there's a line about um, we're here again or something like that. Um, like here, basically, there's like a here we go again type line. It was because it was written for Rocky Three before uh, Eye of the Tiger was chosen. Huh. Well, isn't that fun? That is fun. But yeah, so I like it a lot. It's eighties tastic. It's part of my childhood. It's it's a movie that I I greatly appreciate. And so uh, there you go, dear listener. Our biases are sort of pro and con. We've got problems. We've got issues. But we also have some affection for the film. But some of us more than others. Yeah. But we want you to be part of this conversation with us, and that's by the magical means that we know of social media. Dalton, can you tell some words about the social media? Well, Dustin, I suppose that. I I could. Um, if you were interested in seeing uh, Dustin and I compete in the uh, All Valley Karate Tournament, um, you could go get information about that on Twitter at good underscore trash or on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash GTM. Uh, those are the two best places to get in contact with us uh, to know when we're going to be competing in that All Valley uh, Karate. Uh, it, I've, I neglected to mention is a karate podcasting tournament. So you have to uh, do your own color commentary while you're whooping ass. Um, it's a very complicated tournament. Sounds sounds very very complex. I'm gonna need some help. Um, maybe I can do like some this old house chores for you for a while so that I can mm-hmm. uh, you know perform mm-hmm. well at the tournament. Yeah, head, headset on, headset off. <laughs> um, that's that's how we do it. That's how we get ready for the tournament. Um, again, that is facebook.com forward slash gtm and Twitter at good underscore trash. Uh, you can as always also rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, all those fun places. Uh, definitely helps us out a lot more than you could ever know, dear listener. All right. Well, more thanks very you, much. More than you could ever know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank just you. a so- a soft, gentle whisper like helps 
really emphasize how much it means to us. Yeah, or how creepy we are. I don't know about that. I don't know either, but mm, I, 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 don't, I think there's a little bit of both going no, I don't on there. Bl- I don't believe you. Okay. But, <laughs> well, that's fun. <laughs> we are having a good time already, dear listener, and uh, I think, though, we've had enough having a good time. I think it's time to play the game. Time to play the game. Time to play the game! <laughs> that's right, dear listener, and this week's game is our favorite movie mentors. Uh, that's right, favorite movie mentors, brought to you by The Karate Kid. The Karate Kid. Uh, Pat Morita is a great mentor. Daniel son, not so much good with the, the learning. No, he's, he doesn't learn so shiny. No, I feel like there's specifically one point where he says, I'm the teacher, don't ask any questions. Stop asking questions when a wise old man wants to pass on a life skill to you. You shut the fuck up and do what he says. Correct, correct. So what are your some of, some of your favorite examples of a wise old men telling people to shut up so they can do what they need to do? So I feel like the best place to start is with uh, the uh, Nega Mr. Miyagi, right? And that's Pai Mei from Kill Bill Volume 2. <laughs> okay. The cruel tut- tutelage thereof. Uh, Pai Mei is great. Uh, when was the last time you watched Kill Bill Part 2? Oh, gosh. A long time. It's been a couple years for me, too. But that, without a doubt, is probably my favorite part of both of those movies is that entire segment where um, uh, Uma Thurman goes to Pai Mei and just, like, it's so great. Like, the, the introduction to that scene with Keith uh, or David Carradine. I'm sorry, not Keith Carradine. David Carradine being like, uh, first of all, he hates Westerners, especially Americans. Also, he hates women. So, good luck. Uh, don't talk out of turn or he's going to break your hand. Correct. Like, it's just like letting you know, like, what you're in for before it happens. And as soon as she gets there, she's like, um, I speak some Japanese. And he's like, fuck off with that. No, you don't. <laughs> like, every time she's like, uh, I'm really good with a katana. He's like, ha, silly Japanese fighting. Like, it's it's really great and, like, really specific to, like, this this old... This guy that literally looks like it was plucked out of 12th century China and is in what is ostensibly like 1990s, uh, the the world of the 1990s. It's great. I love every second of that. Um, it, you could make the argument that some of it's a little problematic, but I, I feel like it is all working well within the, the confines of what is acceptable based on 70s kung fu movies, which is what that entire sequence is inspired by. So I'm going to say gets a pass for that. Um, I love Pai Mei. He's great. He's hilarious. Okay. Well, that's great. Um, I'm going to go ahead and go back into the late 80s, early 90s. Okay. And uh, talk a, a little bit of martial arts mentorship. Okay. Uh, We're going to keep it going that way. A, a right. little martial arts. But, I, well, yeah, it's a little bit because that's the style that's applied. But I'm, t- I'm thinking about Sean Connery as the Spaniard Ramirez yeah, there it in is. Highland. There it is. You know. Yeah, baby. I mean, it's so much fun. He just knows what's going on. He knows the entirety of everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. And also just, again, learning this sort of Japanese skill uh, to teach it to a Scottish Highlander uh, well, by he, a Spaniard. Well, hold on. Now we're going to really get in the weeds with this because it's being taught by a Spaniard, played by a Scotsman, to a, well, a Spaniard by way of Egypt, played by a Scotsman, to a Scotsman played by a French-Canadian. Right. It doesn't make. I've got I've got problems. There's, with Highlander. there's crazy ethnic sense. I, I've got or, problems. Or with, I've got problems with Highlander. But but it's very much fun. And the way in which uh, Sean Connery sort of preens mm-hmm. the entire time he's doing his performance. He's called a peacock at one point and an overstuffed haggis, which gives a opportunity for the explanation of what haggis is in the course of a film, which is fantastic. Well, and once again, it is Christopher Lambert from Quebec. 
explaining what haggis is to Sean Connery, the most famous Scottish person of all time. Right. It's th- it's fucking absurd. Yes, and th- and therefore hilarious, and therefore uh, a great deal of fun. So I, I I like it very very much. It's one of my favorites um, of all time. What do you got next, Dalton? Oh, this one. Uh, it's gonna make me sad to even start talking about it. I'm gonna do it anyway. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Robin Williams, no, not in Dead Poets Society, as Sean McGuire in Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. Um, she farted in her sleep. Um, he's the best mentor. He's great. He's, he's the best of all time. Uh, he's wonderful. Uh, every, every single second that Robin Williams is in that movie is an amazing piece of cinema. Uh, every single second he's not in it is an okay movie. Um, but it, it is one of my, I, I know it's, uh, it's very, um, in vogue to uh to dog on goodwill hunting and i I get it like i totally understand it but um it has a very special place in my heart and it always will uh because i love robin williams in that movie so so very much and i think he is he's just absolutely outstanding um in it all the scenes that him and uh uh, matt damon matt damon's no slouch in that film matt damon and and robin really do complement each other very nicely in that film but the the story about her farting in her sleep, <laughs> the I gotta go see about a girl, like it's it's all great. Like it, it's ostensibly he is there to uh, teach Will to like deal with his emotional problems so he can be a math genius. And honestly, he doesn't do that. He just teaches him how to be better at trying to be open and emotionally available in a relationship, uh, which is a great thing that sometimes you have to have somebody teach you. Um, and it's it's fucking beautiful. I love every second of it. Um, also anytime a mentor gets in their mentee's face and tells them they will end them, I'm into it. It's good stuff. It's good yeah. stuff. It's a great way to start the relationship. Hey, you know what? You, you don't have to apologize for liking that Dalton. I refuse to. It's not your fault. Well, I know it's not my fault. It's, not, it? it's not your fault. Shut the fuck up. It's not your fault. Don't you do this to me. Dalton. It's not your fault. Don't do this to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's not your fault. <laughs> totally, totally works. Oh, um, my last selection is mm-hmm. um, a bit, again, I mean, it's a, a from the nostalgia machine. Okay. But I don't care. And specifically, this, this particular character has been played by two different actors. And it is specifically the Alec Guinness version of Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Kenobi. Hell yeah. I just love that man. I mean, Ewan McGregor is the best part of that. That entire trilogy. Correct, yes. And I, I do like Ewan McGregor a lot, but it, it's something about the old Obi-Wan. He's good. He's, he's so good, and he's so encouraging. And yes, indeed, it is also morally ambiguous insofar as he lies to an extent from a certain point of view about what happened with his father. But mm-hmm. that's also uh, for protective reasons, also for accomplishing his purposes, despite what Luke might want to do if he knew the whole truth, which is, again, morally complicated. But I just, I just love it, and I love the, the, the instruction that he gives and the way in which which a, a, a long time and important mentor continues to speak into your life long after they're no longer part of your life. I mean, of course, it is like the Blue Force Ghost because science fiction, fantasy in the case of Star Wars. But in, in the cases of real life, th- th- there's an amazing way in which I still hear the voices of certain people who have invested themselves in me uh, when I'm facing a situation or making a decision that I'm like, hey, you know what? This is what I got to do. This is what, how I need to handle it. And, uh, you know, this is, this is the thing to do in this moment. There, there is a particular saying. It's a Mark Twain saying mm-hmm. um, that my grandfather used to say all the time. And it, it is like use the force uh, for me, which is you can say nothing and people think you a fool or you can open your mouth now and leave no doubt. Like 
all the time. He loved that. He loved that. Man, he loved that. And I hear it in my mind's eye, my mind's ear, my mind's brain, whatever it is, uh, very, very, very often. And I just, I just love me some Obi Wan Kenobi, and I love the way in which his voice continues to speak into Luke, um, because I think that's a very, very sort of real experience of mentorship. So um, I was going to do another uh, men- mentor asking his mentee to show him that he knows Kung Fu. Um, yeah, we've been talking about The Matrix a lot, though, so I decided against it and instead went with uh, another – we're going to go ahead and go one more because I feel like your your favorite movie mentors are going to be locked into the time when you wanted a mentor, right? Um, so I'm going to go with uh, Patrick Stewart as Professor Xavier. Um from right around the same time period as The Matrix, uh, but uh, a mentor, and it's probably just because it's fresh in my mind, uh, what with Logan uh, just coming out um, last month. God, it feels like it's been much longer than that, mm-hmm. um, because we just got to see that culmination of, of the story arc for that mentor uh, and his mentee, uh, Logan. Um, I mean, Patrick Stewart's the best, right? It doesn't get any better than that. Um, and um, I can't. I want to say it's at the very end of the first X-Men film when he tells Magneto... I have a great deal of uh, pity for the the fool who comes to my house looking for a fight. Um, yeah, it's all about uh, do try and protect his kids and teach them to be better people and to uh, better engage with uh, people who want to do them harm uh, and and try to 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 walk the right hand path anyway. Um, it's good stuff, man. It's good stuff. Yeah, I like it a lot. Uh, and I mean, you there is no better casting in blockbusters than than that. I mean. The one that we talk about all the time now because of the the, the reigning supreme of Marvel Studios is is uh, old Robert Downey Jr.'s, but um, old Patty Stu. Yeah, he nails it. Oh, he's so good. Yeah, and I think Ian, uh, Ian McClellan's great he's as great Magneto. Magneto. Yeah. yeah, he's fantastic. I mean, the casting in that, the, the core uh, characters is fantastic. I mean, that's the only reason that franchise was successful because, spoiler alert, most of those movies actually aren't that good. Right. Um, there's a couple of really solid ones, but most of them are fairly not good uh, by and large. But um, it's got a real strong cast, and that helped it go for 20 years. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, there you go, dear listener. Those are our selections for our favorite movie mentors. We'd love to hear your selections via those magical means of social media previously mentioned in the course of the show. But uh, enough of this, guys. I think it's time to get down to business. Yes, business. Yes, business time. I know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. That's right, dear listener, and that business is, as always, analysis, and I'm excited to do a little bit of analysis on one film, The Karate Kid. Uh, This is a thing I wanted to discuss because I think this film really does do well at something films from this time period tend not to do. What's that? And that's racial representation. Yeah, man. Because I was really nervous and worried that as I would be watching this as a mature, thoughtful person. When was the last time you watched this? Oh, all like through? in, in through, probably been 10 years, 15 okay. years. Yeah. Did your kids watch this with you just out of curiosity? Yes, they did. What they think? They love it. Yeah, I've got to figure it out. Yeah, would. it's karate. Yeah, yeah, they don't know better yet. Well, then, then they're small, kind of nerdy kids. Yeah. And so, yeah, this is this is the kind of, you know, sort of fantasy for them. They get to land a blonde girl from the valley. I mean, what more do you want, right? I mean, this is everything as a far as... A brunette girl not from the valley? Hmm? What? I, wh- wh- where is she from? Uh, no, I, no, no, I was just saying, what more could you want? 
You just fucked up my joke. Oh, Keep I'm, going. I'm, I'm the worst. That's what happens? I'm, I'm, I'm terrible. You're but... talking at me. You're not having a dialogue with me. No, I'm not paying attention. Nah, that's what happens when I interject for no reason. That's okay. But um, They did love it, though. They did love it. Um, but this movie, um, I'm going to go with not racist. No, it's not. Uh, again, you know, I'm not a Japanese American, so I'm probably, you know, not the, the right person to go around decreeing whether or not things are racist, but it doesn't feel like it is. Yeah. It doesn't feel like grossly racist. I mean, he is definitely doing a, a kind of like wise Japanese old man archetype for sure. A little Yoda like. Yeah. But it doesn't ever feel like, and again, you know, we, we talked about this and I talked about this in the review segment. This whole movie really centers around the only real emotional arc is not Daniel. Daniel is kind of the same kid all the way through, uh, by and large. I think the only lesson that Daniel learns is that, like, it's okay to get beat up sometimes. Like, it's not a bit, like, you're just going to have to learn that getting knocked on your ass is part of life. And he gains a little confidence yeah. through the course what, of that What Mr. Well. Miyagi learns, though, is that he can still open his heart even though it was completely destroyed by the U.S. government. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty fucking woke for 1984, man. That's incredible. That is what this movie is really about for me. That was the, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Is the story of this this man who gave uh, years of service in combat to the U.S. military, only for his wife and child to die in an internment camp. That's incredibly nuanced mm-hmm. and thoughtful and appreciative of the terrors wrought by the United States and some of its grosser parts in its history. Um, and, and I think that's really impressive for this film that could just have been about some wise, uh, mysterious old man. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And the, the thing that I wondered about and worried about um, was his diction because uh, we all know Pat Morita um, is a Japanese-American who is— He's born here. He's born here, so he, he talks like he was from here. You know, his whole life. I mean, I think he probably speaks Japanese. Or, I believe he does, yeah. Or did, I should say. Yeah, at some point, heard it in his home. You know, so he's got the background. And he, and again, he's a person who knows the cadences and knows those rhythms. He also, um, Dalton was telling me off air, is uh, partly basing some of the cadences and rhythms of the way in which he speaks off of his stunt double, who kicks some tail. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's really great. It's so good. Um, but anyway, uh, the, but that usage, though, um, even though, again, he is using this clearly broken this is my second language sort of uh, uh, diction in his performance as Mr. Miyagi. It never ever seems to be making fun of. No. It never ever seems to be minimizing and it also seems to always indicate that this is a person who is very very smart. That Perhaps their English skills are not wonderful, but they know this. But, but, but Pat Morita's Mr. Miyagi knows what everybody else is doing, what everybody else is up to, and also knows how to be witty in the usage of English. And uh, for, for my money, he is he's the smartest guy on screen, despite not having the greatest handle on the language itself. And so I, that that to me tends to make it a, a bit more nuanced than just simply you know somebody sp- spouting fortune cookie type things yeah no he, he is always and and yeah i mean I, his wisdom definitely could be fortune cookie-esque at points but it, it always comes out as being very nuanced as being a, a valuable lesson um which i think is really great the or just kind of quiet moments like uh the you know gotta walk before you can fly daniel like that's not my rule that's nature's rule that's just the way it is stuff like that like it's just it's Again, as you said, it never comes across as cartoonish. It's right. just th- this is how he speaks. This is his second language. 
but it never feels like it, that's the perfect way to put it. it never feels like it's minimizing or making him the butt of anyone's joke for instance when daniel asks uh mr miyagi you know what belt he is and he's like jc penny 395 or whatever it's it is. a canvas but yeah it's a great belt right a gra- it's a yeah, it's a great belt i and, love that and, oh and, my god and the point is of course is that miyagi knows exactly what he means and exactly what yeah, he's, he's not asking. an idiot and, and and what he's doing is pointing out that's stupid that's that, dumb that you would even ask me that yeah that, that this is not what we're about this is not what we're doing here and so what it is is it's teaching a lesson and he is again sort of being self-deprecating self-effacing a little bit but at the same time there's this there's this sparkle in his eye there's this wink behind his his delivery that we always know yeah he knows exactly what's going on here and what he's trying to point out is that you folks are foolish and you need to think a little bit better well and then obviously follows it up with daniel i know what you mean karate's here and here it's not here right it's not here and this is where the last of the possible sort of racist charges that I sort of just want to deal with. And again, for me, I don't I don't think it falls into this trap, and that is the trap of the magic minority, mm-hmm. right? Where again, a minority, uh, you know, character is used basically um, their whole life and angles and goals are there to provide aid for white people. And um, on on the surface level, this movie does, in, in many ways, look like that because it's about Daniel. He's got a problem with bullies. This guy shows up, and he has the magic ability of karate, and therefore instructs him in it so that he can yeah. again, you know, make it. And does a full on like healing touch. Right. Yeah. He's, he's got. Yeah. He's, he's, he's so there. There. There's, there are. There are shades of that here. But as you have already said, this is about him dealing with his own trauma. Exactly. That there's greater nuance. That actually, what we have in the story is a story of a man coming to terms with a world that has shut him out, despite his kindness and service. And he realizes and learns that he can continue in kindness and service and get into something that's again something more mutually beneficial. Uh, the relationship that he ends up having with daniel which is beautiful and, and it's it's i mean it, it is the story uh i mean we we ended our mentor segment by talking about professor x right it is a story of a man who has every reason to hate his adopted home and keeps seeing the best in it anyway anyway yeah and like has every reason to just be like i don't want anything to do with these fucking people i'm gonna go i'm, I'm gonna clip my bonsai trees i'll fix their sinks i'm gonna go home and work on my cars and keep to myself a man who has every reason to shut out the world um, chooses to open his heart back up. And I think that's beautiful. I think it's really great. Um, the next thing that I want to talk about, Dustin, is um, what, I, what I find there to be kind of a double meaning with karate's here and here and never here. Uh, he points at the belt, but I, I, I took it as a moment of double meaning where he's like, karate's not coming from your dick, dum-dum. Right. Because uh, this entire movie... Is predicated. So let's uh, talk about some of the gender stuff that's a little wonky, shall yeah, we? Yeah, because the the, uh, the race stuff is great in this film. The racial representation, I think, is is really quite lovely. Um, Daniel is literally trying to pick a fight to win a girl. Yes. Period. End of story. Like that's just what it is because he doesn't have to fight Johnny. He keeps antagonizing him. That is the one point there. Again, as I mentioned, there's a viral video about how. Daniel is the antagonist of this film, and Johnny is like the troubled kid who just can't get his life right because this dude won't leave him alone. There is some truth to that. Like the prank at the Halloween yeah, dance. totally Johnny was leaving him alone. Yeah. Like he just keeps egging him on. Like he doesn't have to fight. Like eventually this will go away. And he keeps pushing and picking at it. And in, he asks Pat Marie to bail him out of trouble. Like, hey, teach me how to fight this dude so I can like show that... I have a big enough dick to be with this girl. That's what it comes down to. Now, the th- I think the 
the positive here, right, is there is some shade of uh, Mr. Miyagi trying to teach Daniel, like, that's not what this is about. This is about you being more confident. This is about you being able to protect yourself. This is not about you looking for trouble. And there's little nuggets of that. And I think the film kind of drops it because it realizes that it writes itself into a corner. The more it talks about that, the more it writes itself into a corner with Mr. Miyagi signing him up for a karate tournament. Right. So I think the film really starts to move away from that every time it starts to have something interesting to say about the unnecessariness of this violence and how this violence is all being done so Daniel can date a girl. That he ends up breaking up with in part two. Right. Or I guess she breaks up with him. Yeah, sort of. I mean, but I, it's just, it's very silly uh, and gross. Well, it, it's a fundamental problem of all of these sort of teenage child come, uh, you know, karate master type movies uh, where they where we have well, these I, movies. I think you could make the argument just a lot of 80s coming of age films and even yeah. 90s and current coming of age films. Well, I think it's particularly problematic in martial arts films insofar as the fundamental philosophy in the martial arts is to avoid avoid violence to avoid um to to have the abilities uh, and, and sort of again the uh the mental and uh you know physical toughness that just makes you feel good that that that, that aligns you as a human being uh, it's a better way to go about doing life and then also there is the added benefit that if there is conflict you know how to neutralize that conflict and, but that violence is something always to be avoided well, especially if we're, we're talking about um you know eastern martial arts which are heavily tied with uh, Buddhism and Zen Buddhism. Like, it is all about not hurting other people unless you absolutely positively have no other option. Right. And in their westernization, what ends up happening with these sort of things is that, yeah, obviously we want to avoid violence unless you're in this movie and then you have to use a lot of violence. Like, mm -hmm. the only – you can't that, – that, that all karate, all martial arts films say you can't solve your problems with violence except for this one. Except for this one problem. This one problem right except here. Except for this karate tournament. Yeah, and, and that it's, it's, it's sort of ludicrous in the way that it's worked out. And this is where I will – kind of give the the team that created this film the benefit of the doubt they are smart enough to stage the final confrontation as a sporting event yes right it is staged as a sporting event not as a just a street fight and that is where i will give it the benefit of the doubt where it does try to head that troubling statement off at the pass it does try to say no, Daniel is learning that he shouldn't just be going around picking fights. He is learning that it is important to stand up for yourself, and here is a constructive and positive way to do it in the realm of a sporting contest. So I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt there, but I do, I do think it does all come back to Daniel gets what he wants. Yeah. All Daniel wanted, wants to do is show up Johnny Lawrence uh, and get with Elizabeth Shue, who's uh, oh, Allie with an eye. He wants to give with Allie with an eye and, and show up Johnny Lawrence. And um, that's what he – he doesn't learn that the way he's been going about this is wrong. And that's something that really bothers me because um, it's not – you know, we talked about gender stuff. Olivia Shue's character is really kind of interesting. I mean she doesn't have a whole lot to do, but she is fairly nuanced, especially in the scene where she uh, – she she gives Daniel what for, where he's like, oh, because I don't have a fancy... She's like, I don't give a shit that... You're the one that's obsessed with money. Right. You need to quit. It's not about me. 
you were the one that is obsessed with class, which I think is probably a great place to get to something unless there was any more you wanted to add to this conversation about violence and gender. I do want to think a little bit more about especially the idea of violence because I do mm-hmm. think um, it's westernization that really makes this thing happen Okay, in, in the way that it minimizes those kinds of conversations. It will acknowledge and even in, to some extent it will go ahead and valorize pacifist or mm-hmm. peaceful positions. But what it will do is it will emphasize the sort of impossible situation. It will emphasize the need for violence. And it will it will it will do that in such a way to make violence to seem inevitable, and that's a hegemonic force by which we continue to try to solve our problems uh, with violence. We're, we're looking for the opportunity to use violence rather than looking for other possibilities. I think about the Christian tradition mm-hmm. and the, and the difference between just war theory and uh, pacifism, hard pacifism. And what's interesting to me is that both of those things, when they are looked at in accordance to the writings of the theologians who wrote about them war is horrible killing people is terrible violence is to be avoided um, at all costs it is simply the case that the just war theorists would say every once in a while there is an impossible situation but for the most part they're they're almost identical uh, and, and what what seems to happen and i think zen shaolin and uh, uh, chen uh, buddhism from china zen buddhism from japan uh, the shaolin form of it you know as it gave birth the kung fu in china all of that tends to have the exact same position that it is it is really the least likely thing to ever happen and then we spend the entire time in these sort of films talking about the least likely thing happening all the time well and i think that's this where it gets really interesting right because we are talking about philosophies that are incredibly conflict avoidant yes however we're also talking about cinemas that love conflict uh, let's not pretend that um, you know Japanese and Chinese cinema don't love a good ass kick just like American cinema. And that's where it gets complicated. Is does that predate the West or not? And that's where you have to kind of get interested in the military history of these other countries because we're talking about two countries that have a robust military right. history. Um, so I, I think Western thought uh, in terms of storytelling might have something to do with it because m- my frame of reference is going to all be film. Right. Mm-hmm. And film by its very nature involves a, a globalization. And really by globalization, we mean a, a globalizing of Western ideas. Right. And a uh, globalizing of Western storytelling film being a Western form of storytelling um, in its earliest uh, in incarnations. Uh, but I, I mean, I think you would be hard pressed to say because journey to the West, you know, like the oldest uh, Chinese story. um does have ass kicking. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and again, feudal Japan is all about killing other people. Yeah. So, I mean, just because we are talking about, uh, and again, that goes for the West, the West, uh, the dominant religious force in the West, um, being Christianity is a inherently pacifistic religion, just like, uh, all Buddhism and all of its forms are, are inherently pacifistic. These are three countries. Again, if we're going to focus, we're bringing in China just because of the influence of Buddhism there. Um, and the usage of martial martial arts films there. I can't believe we're going so heavy into martial arts two weeks in a row. I know, right? Uh, I, I just think it, it calls into question the idea that this is all the West's fault. And don't get me wrong. The West can be blamed for a lot of things. Sure. But the the hypocrisy of uh, pacifist, pacifism 
with militarism, I think, predates Western expansion into the East. Maybe we're talking more about nationalism and jingoism uh, okay. than anything here, and, but, and, and, and I think and how it manifests itself. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there we're talking about philosophies that are don't have anything to do with the West. They have to just do with, as you said, nationalism and jingoism and the need to take other people's shit. Yeah. Uh, I do think, though, Karate Kid does a better job of this by, as you say, by put, by framing this in a tournament and also by the ending of the movie that should have been. Well, yeah. I, we I don't know, see till the sequel. Yeah. So I really want to talk about that. Do you, before we move there, though, do you want to touch on class a little bit? Because I think the, the, the most interesting thing to be said about it, obviously, is Daniel's from Reseda and Allie is from the hills, the, the hills or, or the, the valley. I don't, I don't know. It doesn't matter. She's rich. Yeah, she's she, rich. She got money. Um, and Daniel is obsessed with it. Yes. And I think that uh, as somebody who doesn't uh, come from a rich family, um, it's nice to see that, uh, to be reminded that sometimes it's me that's obsessed with money and not the rich people. Right. Uh, and I think for any of us who are, uh, you know, interested in, you know, somewhat Marxist ideologies um, to, to, to some extent, I, I think it's important to be reminded. Sometimes we're the ones that are obsessed with demonizing rich people. Yeah, it's not just the rich folks that are materialistic sometimes. Sometimes it's it's the people without money. And yeah, I mean, yes, understandably we are um, obsessed with money, but uh, it can make you be a bad person too. Your, your obsession with material things can make you a bad person even if you don't have material things. And I, I think that's a really great moment. It's, Probably one of my favorite moments in the movie as far as the relationship between Daniel and Allie goes is Allie telling him off, being like, I don't care about this. You're the, I, I don't mind going on dates with your mom in her station wagon where we have to pop the clutch. I don't care about that. You do. Right. This is not about me. This is about you. And I find that a really – I find it a really nice moment in the film because it's, an, it's one of the moments where Allie gets a lot of agency and um, – Especially that, that whole sequence where they're at the the golf place or whatever, where he's uh, being at his grossest, which mm-hmm. is why this is a, a simultaneously like really great scene for Allie and a scene that makes Daniel look like a real gross douchebag because uh, he's being real pushy and not leaving her alone, even though that's clearly what she wants. Uh, and he gets his way by just insisting that they talk about it, uh, which is not great. Um, but uh, it does give us th- that great moment of uh, Elizabeth Shue telling him off which i think is a really interesting scene yeah and i would just say you know this is what we see with you know sort of class conflict and uh you know i think the marxist response to this is that what what wealth and uh, income disparity ends up doing is it does cause people to act against their own best interests i mean the, the, the more technical versions of false consciousness and those kind of things sort of come into play here a little bit but we, we're, we're definitely seeing some of the negative uh, residual effects of uh, the lack of class on Daniel there. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, I think that is a certain important conversation uh, to what's going on uh, with this film. So now let's talk about that last scene that is the first scene of the sequel. So the end of this movie is terrible. Yes. Right? Daniel wins the trophy. Johnny Lawrence comes over and goes, hey, like, good job, dude. Like, yeah, you're okay, LaRusso or you're, whatever. That's what it is. Um, and he goes, Mr. Miyagi, we did it. And Pat Morita gives a good smile. Freeze frame, end of movie. Literally, when it ended, I was like, what the fuck? How? That's the dumbest ending ever. There's no come down. We literally, we reached the climax of the story. The dramatic question is resolved, and there is no, like, further resolution. There's no, like, cool, uh, like cooling action. That's just it. It's over. It's done. 
Um, so I did some research, and uh, I had never seen Karate Kid Part 2. And I found out that there was originally a scene scripted for Part 1 that is the opening of Part 2, where there's a confrontation between Mr. Miyagi and... Reese. Reese, thank you. Uh, the leader of the Cobra Kai. Uh, no mercy. Cobra Kai, never die. Cobra Kai, no mercy. Um, so, uh, Dustin was like, well, we should go ahead and watch the opening of Part 2 right before we started recording. And I was like, that's that's a great idea. And I love that part two basically opens with a previously on the Karate Kid montage. Yes. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. The opening credits is previously on the Karate Kid. Um, so why don't you take it from here? Well, what ends up happening is as they are working their way into the parking lot, so Daniel is limping uh, with his number one first place trophy uh, out there. He's being congratulated. Yeah, he's, he's got his... Uh, Duke of New York, a number one award. Yeah, and so he's being, you know, greeted by, you know, a referee. Their version of Don King is a promoter that's setting a white Don King in a leisure suit uh, talking. Right? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I noticed it too. <laughs> um, so they're all telling him that's great. That kick was fantastic, you know, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Reese sort of walks by being a punk and shoving people around and just doing that sort of thing. But what ends up uh, culminating in the events is that Reese is confronting Johnny, uh, telling Johnny he's off the team, he's kicking him out of the dojo because you're a loser you're a loser you lost the fight he's breaking his trophy and throwing it aside and johnny's just sick of it he's just not taking it anymore yeah, he's like no you're a loser man like what is wrong with you you have a problem i a, think he says you have a problem doesn't yeah he? something something along those lines reese ends up putting johnny into a chokehold and is really hurting him and this is a child this is yes a child this is a 17 year old at best. At best. I mean, you know, as far as depiction goes, again, he looks a bit older. But no, he, yes. I mean, yes, the character's, the actor's clearly in his 20s. But the character is a 17-year-old. Right. He's starting his, his senior year. He's in the middle of his senior year. So he's maybe 18. Maybe. Right. And uh, so anyway, uh, Pat Morita's uh, Mr. Miyagi walks over and says, leave the boy alone. Let him go. Um, then Reese responds with a racial slur. Oh, which we don't get any of in part one. Yeah. Well, oh, man. It's a real externalization of all that shit we were talking about throughout this analysis. Yeah, right. Yeah. With a racial slur and says, you're next if you don't get out of the way. And so Marita basically manhandles and gets Johnny free. And uh, then Reese squares up uh, to punch Marita. And Marita just moves aside. And he puts a hand through a window, and it starts the knuckles start to bleed with a bloody, bloody bit of uh, special effects work. Yeah, it's real good. Uh, he does the same thing again, bloodies the other set of knuckles. And uh, then Marita basically grabs him by the shirt, pulls his hand back, and begins to go through the Cobra Kai, I don't know what you'd call the creed, you know. Yeah, so so uh, in case you haven't seen either of these movies and you're just enjoying this conversation, there's a moment where uh, Miyagi and Danielson go to the Cobra Kai dojo, and... Um, they uh, are watching a, a, a Cobra Kai class that involves um, Reese giving this whole, like, uh, your enemy is your enemy at all times and you should fuck them up or whatever. Um, and um, it's really beautiful where uh, Miyagi turns it on him, right? Yeah, yeah. Mercy is for the weak. Uh, the enemies deserve no mercy. If they stand up against you, he is your enemy and you should do whatever. And he reaches back to just give him the chop. And uh, then he ends up honking his nose and making something of a Sesame Street sound, uh, which is really, really hilarious, uh, which ends up being a callback at the second half of uh, part two, but um, which we did not watch all, of. which we did not watch at all for the for the port purpose of the show. But it becomes this moment of again nonviolence of using those skills in order to avoid the conflict, and then to let a person live with their own uh, lack of mercy, lack of forgiveness. I, I think it perhaps I mean you know, Miyagi says it's worse than death to live with no mercy in your heart, but I think there's also this idea that this gives a person 
opportunity for introspection. Um, although the odds of Reese's introspection are probably slim to none. Yeah, but it's it's a great ending, right? Yes, yes. Because the whole movie sets up this idea that there are no bad students, just bad teachers. It sets up Reese as the villain of this movie and then does not pay that off until the opening of the sequel two years later. And something's on fire. Yes, it is. Well, we do live in a city. So that is a thing that happens. But that's what we think of the film The Karate Kid. And this, of course, brings us to the point of our show when we must render a verdict about The Karate Kid. So, Mr. Dalton Stewart, I ask you, what do you think of The Karate Kid? Is it shelf or is it trash? And then what else or instead would you recommend based on that decision? Ooh. Ooh, your face. I see that. I don't want to trash this movie just because Pat Morita is so good in it. He is great. He's so good, but I don't care for this movie. There, there are movies that do what this movie does far better. So I'm going to say... If you've never seen it, you can probably go ahead and go the rest of your life without seeing it. It's fine. You don't need to make time for the Karate Kid in your life. I would definitely recommend, you know, checking out a couple of, like, highlight clips. Uh, you know, if it's on cable, I wouldn't change the channel. But uh, you don't need to seek out the Karate Kid because it, it is what it is. Don't try to use the crane technique in a fight. No, don't do that. Um, yeah. It's fine. It is what it is. I like Pat Morita, but I'm not going to – I can't recommend it. Instead, I want you to watch um, a couple of recent films that I think – uh, benefit from years and years and years of this kind of movie. Uh, the first one being um, Ryan Coogler's film from 2015, Creed, uh, which was one of my favorite movies the year it came out. I just recently rewatched it not that long ago, and I still love it. I think it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, Michael B. Jordan's great in it. Sylvester Stallone is great in it. Uh, Tessa Thompson's great in it. It's an amazing cast. It really is from top to bottom. Uh, it's a fantastic sports movie. It really is, and I, I think it's doing really interesting things with the legacy of uh, Rocky, but also the Karate Kid. You know, these are because I mean, at the end of the day, the Karate Kid shares the DNA of Stallone's Rocky. I mean, right? Am, am I wrong? Absolutely. Um, so I would definitely recommend Creed, and of course the uh, the original Rocky, the film that started all of this tomfoolery, uh, because it is quite good. It, it is quite a good film, and um, I, I think that gets lost in how silly all the sequels are. Um, I think one of the things that gets lost is just how good Rocky is, because it is quite quite an exceptional film. Uh, I would also recommend the the film Warrior, uh, the Gavin Hood-directed film? No, Gavin O'Connor. Shit, I can't think of the director's name, and I feel bad, but I don't feel like looking it up either. But it stars uh, my, my, my favorite, favorite boy, Tom Hardy, and... Um, Joel Edgerton, who I also love quite a bit, and uh, Nick Nolte is also fantastic in it. Um, it is uh, Rocky Times 2, Karate Kid Times 2. It is literally about a, an MMA tournament um, and has the benefit um, – because here's the problem with literally all sports movies is you want the hero to win, and you are blinded and certain in – you're certain in nothing but your desire to see the protagonist win. And it's a film that has two protagonists competing in the same tournament, which I think is a really, really great thing to have in a movie. Um, I, I just recently rewatched Warrior, um, and it holds up incredibly well. Um, I, I like it a lot. I think it's, again, benefits much like Creed from 30 years of this kind of movie. Um, but I think it took 30 years to realize that we had to subvert this formula because this formula is kind of boring. Um, and finally, I'm going to recommend a, a kind of underseen movie that's actually getting a sequel, um, and that is Goon, the hockey movie starring Sean William Scott and Leah Schreiber um, and Allison Pill, which 
I love a lot. I, I I don't know a lot of people that have seen this movie. Um, I remember when we first started doing the show, um, the first time we did a year-end list, I remember I, this was on my year-end list. I remember that. Um, it's great. It's a great sports movie. Uh, I think it deals a lot with the kind of violence and gender stuff we were talking about a little bit with Karate Kid. Um, I, I think it has some really interesting things to say about societal conflict uh, and how we organize violence uh, as a spectator sport. Uh, and also, it's just really moving and beautiful, and I love it. Very, very good. Thank you very much for that. Mr. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry, Dustin. I, 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 as soon as I wrapped up, I remember there was one other thing I wanted to recommend, uh, and that is the season six episode of Community. Oh, right. You already Queer, talked about Queer this. Queer Studies and Waxing Off, um, I believe is the title, um, or Advanced Waxing Off, uh, which is uh, the the B plot of this episode is that the comedian Jason Manzoukas, who I love a lot, is putting on a theater production of The Karate Kid, and in his version of it, in his idea... Um, Mr. Miyagi is the real protagonist of the story and uh, really just hammers home all these ideas we've been talking about with um, Mr. Miyagi being, you know, this this uh, really kind of beautiful, uh, purely American, purely tragic figure. Um, it's a great episode of television and uh, just is a really comedically uh, highlights all these things we've been talking about. Good deal. Good. I'm glad you did get that mention because you mentioned it off air, and I really did want to make yeah. sure the dear listener heard about that. That's excellent. I am actually going to say shelf, um, and not just for nostalgia reasons. I think it's a cultural touchstone. Um, in the same way, and I know this is going to be almost sacrilegious for me to say, but in similar ways as say Casablanca is that um, everybody eats at Rick's. That these play it again, Sam. That the these sort of ideas use the crane technique, wax yeah. on, wax off. Like it, it is so much a part of the cultural conversation. Okay. That it that it's embedded that it becomes important and uh, and also just because i dig it it's fun and uh, makes me happy but i do want to recommend the most uh bizarre and uh disturbed perhaps triple feature in which you do get a wrestle with these sort of religious okay. violence uh type questions and the way sports uh work and so the next film after you watch the karate kid to move yourself in easily right get through your popcorn here it's gonna get mm. a little bit more challenging okay then you watch aronofsky's the wrestler wait uh, so but we do start with Karate Kid. You do start with the Karate Kid. Okay. And it's just going to get tougher. And then we move into The Wrestler. The Wrestler. It's a tough watch. Which is a tough watch, but it's, it, again, it's this use of violence, and it's performative violence, and performative masculinity, and it begins to raise some very interesting questions, and it's just a brilliant mm-hmm. film. It's uh, a in, fantastic movie. In great ways. And then we start thinking about, again, sort of the basic sort of philosophical tenets of pacifism in light of violence, and that's when you move to John Michael McDonough's Calvary. Oh, uh, such a good fucking it's, movie. It's so good. And <sighs> You will leave that going, I really like karate, and I don't know that I like what's going on with martial arts films necessarily, but I want to think about it more and why it matters. And that is that is Dustin's, I guess, mind trip I'm trying to play on you all, dear listener, uh, by virtue of Plus, you just really like recommending Calvary any chance you get. It, well, there is that. I do like that movie a lot. It's such a fantastic film. Yeah. Ugh. Whenever possible, that's what it's going to come it's down so to. It's so good. <laughs> So, well, there you go, dear listener. That's our thoughts on uh, The Karate Kid. We'd love to hear yours via the magical means of social media already mentioned earlier in this show. We'd love to keep that conversation going with you all. And we also want to let you guys know that we have another movie picked for next time. We're it's, very excited. It's something of a sequel to an episode we did long, long ago. In with- so far as it happened before well and so far that it's related to a film we've <laughs> talked about previously so once upon a time one of uh, our favorite episodes uh the year we recorded it uh we talked about the um, the masterpiece the the hollywood cinema classic 
um, Silence of the Lambs. And we are going to talk about the previous film that is unrelated, uh, and that is Michael Mann's Manhunter, based on the novel Red Dragon from 1980-something. Something. Prior to 1990 when uh, Silence of the Lambs was 1980 Glass Bricks. Yeah, it's good. Um, I- I'm excited to see what you think about it, Dustin. Cause you- have you seen it before? I have seen it before. It's been quite a while, though. It's been a minute, yeah. So we're going to talk about uh, Manhunter. We're probably going to talk about the series Hannibal, which was out when we were discussing uh, Silence of the Lambs, but had not concluded as it now has. So we'll probably uh, talk a little bit about that. Uh, we're going to talk about all things Hannibal Lecter uh, and maybe all things Michael Mann. Perhaps, perhaps, because really we're going to talk about a lot of things because what we do here is what makes watching the movie so worthwhile. It's about the conversation. It's so much more than 90 minutes in that bucket of popcorn. So you keep watching, we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. The Good Trash Genre Cast is brought to you by the Good Trash Media Network at goodtrashmedia.com. The Good Trash Genre Cast is directed and produced by Dalton Stewart and Dustin Sells. Editing by Dustin Sells. Social media by Dalton Stewart, Alexander Bohannon, and sometimes Arthur Gordon. For more information, go to goodtrashmedia.com. Oh, wow.